And we'll begin in verse 13 and read down through verse 18. And then we'll be down through the end of verse 22 in the message this evening. The Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Why? That ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. The thing I have, uh, the thing I command you that ye love, these things rather I command you that ye love one another. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before. It hated you. We're looking at our identity in Christ. Who are we as Christians? Well, uh, last week we looked at being a child of God. This evening we'll look at being the friend of God. The friend of God. Let's have a word of prayer this evening. Lord, help us as we uh, consider this important truth. It is truly an honor and privilege to have a great friend. And we're given an avenue to where we can be your friend. So may we see this tonight, and may we run to the opportunity and take full advantage of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, I think of of the gender divide when I think of friends. I think of men and women. And the reason why I bring this up is that outside of my wife, I don't know that I've had a lot of really close friends. And as I think through uh, how many boys are raised and many girls are raised, girls seem to want to run to the idea of having that heart-knit friend maybe a little bit more than boys do. I have had some friends through my life. Uh, I had a boyhood friend Named Cornelius, his dad's name was Walter, and he was on the 5 o'clock local news, his dad was. Cornelius was maybe a year older than me, and we rode our bicycles all over the place. I had a lawn mowing, uh, cutting business when I was 11 or 12 years old around the neighborhood, and Cornelius would go and and help me cut the grass, and I'd give him uh, a dollar or two for helping me. And um, I had a boy who was a little bit older than me. We, uh, My father would run two bus routes on Sunday and one of them was uh, to the white kids and another one to the black kids. It was a very racially divided church. And so we had uh, the black kids on the property when the deacons weren't around. I'm not making that up. That's actually how it was. It was uh, really sad. But uh, I'm thankful for a dad who wasn't in any way racist and spent just as much time loving on the black kids as he did the white kids. But we would, uh, we would uh, get there for that afternoon service. And I had had enough church. I had already gone through Sunday school and Sunday morning services and, uh, and had ridden the bus to pick up the kids and then drop off the kids and then pick up the next set of kids. And so I wasn't going to another junior church. So I would run around with an older boy, maybe four or five years older than me, named Sam. Sam Cave was his name. And Sam was sort of a backwards kid, uh, sort of an introvert. And so we would run around the building and have fun together. But then he found uh, a room in the church. It was a large church that wasn't used and had a, a lock on the door. So he and I would go in there and, and lock the door. And he sat down and he developed a code so that we could write letters 
to each other, you had to have the code in order to interpret the letter. This was the kind of kid Sam was. One week we were in there together and he's trying to draw up plans for how he can build a pickup truck out of wood. And uh, I told him, I said, I don't think that's going to be very gas. Uh, uh, that's going to work from a gas standpoint. And he said, oh, no, no, no. He was certain he could make it work. Uh, we moved away about six months after he started drawing up the plans for that. So I have no idea whether or not he even tried, but I wouldn't have put it past him. Um, we moved to uh, Alabama and I uh, developed a friendship with a boy named Nate, Nate Allen. Have you ever tried to look up somebody on Facebook with a name like Nate Allen? There's like five million Nate Allens on Facebook. So if anyone out there online watching this happens to know where Nate is, uh, put me in contact with him because he and I were just really good buddies. Nate was about as backwards uh, not backwards. He was rather as much of a backwoods as they come. When you think of an Alabama redneck, Nate fit it to the T. He had it all down. Uh, the largest fish I ever caught, I caught with Nate. We got some cane poles. Uh, that's a piece of sugar cane with a, a fishing string on the end of it. And uh, we found a golf course, and he got permission from the owner of the golf course. And I pulled out a catfish that must have been this big out of that pond. I was only a 14-year-old boy. I remember putting that pole over my shoulder and just dragging that fish out. And it just about pulled me in the lake. The first time I ever did a rope swing into a river. Anybody else here ever had the privilege of rope swinging into a river? It is, you haven't really lived life until you have rope swing into a river. The first time I ever did that was into the Tennessee River. And we, uh, he, he found some back road and he parked his car. I was 13 or 14. He was 15 or 16. We walked down this wrong, long path and we rope swinged out. When we came back, someone had smashed the window in his car and stolen all the contents out of the car. I don't know why, but that just stands out in my mind. But uh, friendship and friends are great to have. In Bible college, there were some friends that I had, but I have found most friendships are circumstantial and uh, they, they depend on living conditions and maybe some of those things and you move on and you lose those friends. And as I begin to prepare this message and read this passage about how God wants to be our friend and he has given us a path to be his uh, friend, um, I began to think about what are some of the attributes of a good friendship. And here's just some of the, the few I wrote down. I got thinking about friendship. Uh, loyalty is important in friendship. You don't want to tell your uh, friend something that's uh, sort of private and confidential and then have them turn around and betray you with that information. And so loyalty is important. Uh, com- uh, being communicative or communicating uh, is important. Have you ever uh, uh, had someone you thought was a good friend and then all of a sudden they go months without contacting you? And you think, you have my number and you can call or text me. Or, um, you know, uh, we see each other at church and you just seem to find to go the other way and I never can connect, connect with you. That friendship doesn't feel uh, real uh, uh, tight. Or rather, it can become where it feels shallow. Uh, another attribute of a good friendship is forgiving. Uh, two people in a friendship uh, are sinners. They're going to sin. They're going to offend. And so friends are really, really good at forgiving uh, uh, each other. Uh, friends are kind to each other. Friends are open with their emotions uh, with each other. And then friends are quick to defend 
each other. These were some of the attributes I wrote down about friendship. And uh, I'm thankful that in all of my uh, years of being alive, the greatest friend outside of God, the greatest earthly friend God has ever given me is my wife. And I would say to all of you married here today, your best friend needs to be your spouse. Uh, I see a lot of men who say, well, I need to go hang out with the guys. How about you tell the guys I'm going to hang out with my wife? I see a lot of ladies who want to have their night out with the girls. And there's nothing wrong with having a night out with the guys or night out with the girls occasionally. But uh, make sure that you uh, have a closer friendship to your spouse than you do with other people. But beyond that, a friendship with God. I began to study the Bible for notable friendships. Friendships that stood out. And a few of them that I came across as I was studying the Scriptures, maybe the most um, uh, notable one between two earthly people was David and Jonathan. The Bible says that their hearts were knit together in uh, 1 Samuel. Their hearts were knit together. What a great friendship they had. Um, uh, One that I want to take just a few minutes to look at some passages with you by way of introduction, God and Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham was the friend of God in three different places in the Bible. Turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse number 7. Jehoshaphat is king here, and he's calling out on the Lord in time of trouble. Look at verse 7. Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend, thy friend forever? Abraham was the friend of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 41 and verse number 8. Isaiah 41. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Turn over to uh, James chapter number 2. And verse 23, James 2, verse 23. I would say that Abraham had a reputation of being the friend of God. For if any be a hearer of the word, I'm sorry, I'm in one, chapter 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. What, no, this verse maybe shines a spotlight on how Abraham became the friend of God. He became the friend of God uh, by, um, uh, by believing in God. He believed in God. He lived a life of faith. And that faith walk brought him to a place where uh, God labeled him his friend. Um, uh, let me give you a couple of other examples of friends. Amnon and Jonadab. You all remember Amnon and Jonadab, Amnon was the one that uh, that sinned against his half sister, David's children, and, and then Absalom ended up killing Amnon. And then Jonadab was his cousin, and Amnon is tempted to do wrong against his sister. And the Bible says, but uh, but but Amnon had a friend. But Amnon had a friend, and this friend 
brought him to do something very sinful. Friends can be a great influence on us, and friends can also be a very sinful influence on us. And the purpose of the message tonight is not to talk about staying away from the wrong crowd, but I will just say very quickly here, be very careful who you choose to be your friends. Um, Job and his friends... Job and his friends, uh, over and over again. In fact, the word friend is maybe used in the book of Job more than any other book. But what did Job find with his friends is they weren't real helpful to him in his time of need. But there's one more that I want, uh, one more friendship I want to point to this evening that will launch us into the message this evening. And it's this. Jesus and the social rejects. Jesus and the social rejects. Who did Jesus surround himself with? The social rejects. Look at uh, even the rich people he surrounded himself like Matthew. You know what Matthew was? He was a tax collector. You know what tax collectors were? They were shunned. They were pushed. They had lots of money. They were pushed out of the social fabric of that day. They weren't wanted around. Um, uh, look at the fishermen that he gathered around him. Peasants in nature. And then even when Jesus would go to a Pharisee's house, turn over to Matthew chapter 11, verse number 19. Even when Jesus would go uh, to a, a rich person's house, in with him would come the scuttlebutt of society. In with him would come those that were rejected by society, the, the harlots and the wine-bibbers and the drunk and the outcast of that day. And Jesus gathered about himself uh, quite the reputation. Matthew Chapter 11, uh, verse number 19 says, The Son of Man come, um, uh, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, speaking of the Pharisees, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Why was Jesus labeled a glutton? Was it because he overate? No, it was because he was around people who were gluttonous. Why was Jesus labeled a wine-bibber? Because the breath of those that were around Jesus had the smell of wine or alcohol. Why was Jesus labeled a publican and a sinner? Because the crowd that He was with were those that were broken by sin and were coming to the Son of Man or to Jesus in order uh, to be healed. Who did Jesus call His friends? Who is Jesus labeled as a friend of? Those who were social rejects. Turn over to Luke chapter 12 and verse number 4. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 4. Here Jesus is speaking to His disciples. Again, the ragtag team that He's assembled around Him. The ones that uh, the Pharisees looked down their nose at for not being qualified. Later in Acts, these, uh, these disciples of Jesus would be labeled as unlearned and ignorant men. Let's look at what Jesus says about these unlearned and ignorant men. And I say unto you, my friends, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more, uh, and after that have no more that they can do. He's calling these disciples his friends. He's collected the rejects of society around them, and he has labeled them his friends. Back over to John chapter 15. John 15, where we began this evening, and we see that Jesus is telling them that they can be his friends. Look at verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his 
friends. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Or rather, who did Jesus die on the cross for? He died for those He wanted to be His friends. And so, uh, what is our identity in Christ this evening? You have been saved. You've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. You are part of the family of God. You are a child of God. Well, God is inviting you tonight to also be His friend. And we're going to look at Four thoughts about being the friend of God. Number one, notice this evening, the precondition for friendship. The precondition for friendship. Now, how this differs from being a child of God in this identity in Christ series is that once you get saved, you automatically are a child of God, and that will never change. Depending, no matter how you live your life, you will always be a child of God. Remember last week we talked about how that fellowship with God can be broken But sonship with God can never be broken. That is permanent. Well, being a friend with Christ or a friend of God indeed can be broken. And just because you are saved doesn't automatically mean that you are the friend of God. In fact, God has put some uh, preconditions or some conditions on being the friend of God. Letter A, notice, you must accept His sacrifice. You must accept his sacrifice. Again, greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. I believe everyone here tonight is saved. At least all of those that are of, of, of age of understanding are saved. But I'll say tonight, if there's somebody here that's not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save them, you cannot be the friend of God until you have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He wants you to humble your heart and turn away from your pride and some belief system in either yourself or some set of works or some sort of religious system. He wants you to turn away from those things and mentally turn and put your heart faith in Him and the fact that He laid down His life on the cross for you. Letter B, you must adhere to His commandments. You must adhere to His commandments. Look back with me at verse number 14, 14, and we find the word if. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. And I've heard someone say, well, friendship should be unconditional. Really? Does anybody here actually follow that code of conduct? That friendship is unconditional? We all put conditions on our friendships. Every one of us. You want to tell me that your best friend right now, your BFF, best friend forever. If your BFF were to hop on social media and call you every name in the book and slander you and continue to do it for days and weeks and months, you'd continue to be that person's friend? I don't think anybody here would do that. You're going to tell me that if your friend uh, pulled out a gun and shot a family member, a close family member of yours, that you would continue to be their friend? Listen, I'm even talking to husbands and wives here who are close-knit friends. There are conditions on that friendship. And if you don't believe me, we could really talk through scenarios, some scenarios where that friendship could pretty quickly come to an end. And listen, it's no different with Jesus. He has put some conditions on our friendship. He says, if you want to be my friend, then you must keep my commandments. Now, this doesn't mean that every time you mess up, God looks at you and says, well, you're not my friend anymore. That's not how it works. 
What is this talking about? There needs to be an attitude of attempting to keep the commandments of God. And are we going to mess up sometimes? Absolutely we are. And does God already know that? Yes, He does. But there ought to be that repentant spirit when we mess up. And that coming back and saying, Lord, here are the sets of commandments in my Christian life I have learned to follow. And here are the ones in front of me that I'm still learning how to follow. But I'm heading the right direction. And with your help, I will continue to follow more and more of your commandments. I think one thing I can draw away from the various friendships I've had in life is that I'm far less concerned with where somebody is and I'm far more concerned with the direction that they're going. I have known some people that live cleaned up holy lifestyles and they are just the biggest grouch and they're not a lot of fun to be around. And to be honest, they're backsliding and they're going this way. And I would much rather hang out with someone over here or be a friend of someone here who, yes, they've got some struggles in their life. And yes, they're doing some things that aren't uh, uh, just in line with Scripture, but they're making strides. They're drawing nigh to God. They may be behind someone that's ahead, but they're heading in the right direction. And uh, this evening, I would say to you that God wants to be your friend, but He wants to know that you're working hard to follow the plan he's laid out in scripture and that you respect the fence and i would just uh, circle around and put it this way really god will be your friend depending on your attitude toward the fence of the rules of the bible do you see it as a prison wall that's got you locked in or do you see it as a wall of protection i'm speaking of the commandments of scripture that's put there for your safety if you if you uh, uh, view the rules of the Bible as the Lord is looking to protect me and I'm going to follow them to the best of my ability. When I fail, I'm going to get on my knees and, 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 and clean that up with the Lord. The Lord will be your friend. So what are the preconditions? Well, uh, you must accept his sacrifice. That puts you in his family. And then beyond that, you must adhere to his commandments. Number two, let's look at Christ's purpose within our friendships. Christ's purpose Within our friendship. Quickly here, notice letter A. He desires intimacy. He desires intimacy. Look at John chapter 15 and verse number 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. And again here specifically, he's speaking to the type of relationship he wants to have on that friend level. Um, But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my father. I have made known unto you. I have made known unto you. You know what he's saying here? Uh, He's saying, just go back to Matthew 24, 25. Uh, I believe there's a passage in Luke that's parallel to that. But the disciples come to him and say, hey, tell us what's going to happen at, at the end. And you know what Jesus does? He sits down and he, he tells them the whole thing. He doesn't give names. That would have been nice. And we know to look out for the Antichrist, right? Uh, but he gives a whole lot of detail about what's going to come. And then he tells them, he says, I can't tell you the day or hour that I'm coming because only my father knows that. You know what? But I've told you everything else that I am allowed to tell you and that I know to tell you. You know why? Because you're my friends. You know what Jesus was seeking for with these disciples? He was seeking an intimate bond. An intimate bond. That's what Jonathan and David had, wasn't it? The Bible says their souls were knit together. And by the way, I believe that two men 
can be very, very, very emotionally close to each other, such as a David and a Jonathan, or a God and Abraham. I know God wasn't a man, but that idea of that God is male nonetheless, that, that male-male bonding, that can happen. And you know what? Homosexuality just doesn't need to be involved. You understand that? Um, Jonathan and David were so tight-knit, they, they, they went to a place where their souls were knit together. That's what God wants with you. Now, again, let's not forget the verses that precede what we're looking at here tonight. Abiding in Christ. That tight-knit, abiding relationship with Christ. What does God want? What does Christ want with us? He wants intimacy. He wants that emotional closeness. When was the last time, Christian, you dropped to your knees in bitter tears because there was a sin in your life that you were struggling with? And maybe to everyone else that sin would seem uh, 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 minuscule or minute or maybe not a big deal. And, and some people would say, oh, that's not even a sin. But the Lord's worked on your heart with it and you know it's wrong. And it's getting between you and that emotional closeness with your Savior. And you drop to your knees and you say, Lord, I hate this sin that's in my heart because it's ruining the closeness that we could have. What is the purpose of friendship? Well, for God, for Christ, what He desires is that intimacy. He desires intimacy. Letter B, notice, He desires influence. If there's one thing that is certain about our friends is that they sure have a whole lot of influence on us. By the way, You ought to take a close look at the trajectory of the life of your friends. And if that trajectory is not going where you want to go, then you ought to distance yourself from those friends. Who is it that you really want to be like? If you want to be like Christ, then you up your time spent with Him so that you are upping His influence on you. Look at chapter 15 again, verse 13 and 14. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. And we looked at that from a salvation standpoint a moment ago, but my goodness. Can you, why would you, why would you not want this person who's laid down his life for you, uh, to not have influence over you. He, he laid down his life and he died and he went through your hell for you and he sits in heaven and he says, I want to be your friend. Oh my, that is someone I want to have great influence over me. Greater love hath no man than this. Boy, he laid down his life. Um, have you ever had the chance to be in the presence of a purple heart recipient? Have you ever had that chance to be in the presence of someone who suffered in war? You know what influence I want from that person on my life? I want to know about patriotism. I want them to influence my patriotism. You almost died so that I could continue to have my freedoms as an American, as a resident of the United States of America, a citizen. Uh, I want that influence. Jesus Christ died. And in this friendship, what is he looking for? Well, yes, he desires intimacy, that closeness. Go back to the Garden of Eden and you see the, the closeness that, that, um, uh, that Adam and Eve had with God. How about Enoch? 
Enoch was so intimate with, with God that he was translated to heaven and he was no more. Abraham spent all of that time walking alone through the desert, spending time with God. Oh, that intimacy. But there is a secondary thing that happens with a friendship and we begin to act like and talk like and we begin to realize their influence on our decision making. How many of us here end up watching a movie or a TV show because some friend said, oh, you just have to watch this. Oh, uh, or we'll pick our clothing habits or our eating habits based on those friends that we have and their influence on our life. But to take it even a step further, what does uh, what is the purpose of our friendship with Christ? Well, it's intimacy, it's influence. Let her see he desires imitation. He desires imitation. Turn over to Acts chapter 11, verse number 26. Acts chapter 11. Here you find the church of Antioch has just gotten up and going. And uh, they are a, a multi-cultured church located in a melting pot type region. And the outsiders of the church are observing them. They know who Christ is because he's left such a mark on the culture at large. And look at verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. This is Barnabas uh, speaking of Barnabas bringing Saul to Antioch or rather Paul to, or later Paul to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You know what Christian means? It means to be like Christ. It means little miniature Christ. Little miniature Christ. You dads with older children, you remember when uh, you'd look down at them and you'd see your mannerisms popping up in them? You remember that? Uh, you'd see some of their habits beginning to come around. I remember being a boy and I, the things my dad would do would drive me nuts. I'd say, I will never do that. I will never say that to my kids. And then I find myself doing it or saying it to my kids. You know why? I'm beginning to imitate my father. I'm beginning to imitate my, uh, my, my friend. I remember one summer, I was uh, 14, I believe, and um, I, I was invited to travel all over the southeast and be on a team of other teenagers led by uh, a man and his wife who were great mentors in my life. I surrendered to preach under this man's ministry. His name's Jerry Fertel. Uh, he actually is the one that preached my ordination service. But uh, we called him Uncle Jerry, and we traveled with Uncle Jerry and his wife, Aunt Vicky, And we, uh, uh, we traveled all summer doing vacation Bible schools all over the southeast. It was just a tremendous experience. We'd do vacation Bible schools in either the morning or the evening. And then uh, uh, whichever one it wasn't, we would do backyard Bible clubs the rest of the day. And so all day long as a teenager, you're going. And we saw hundreds of people saved that summer, hundreds of children saved that summer. It was a tremendous blessing. But there was a boy named Daniel Hopkins. Daniel Hopkins is maybe the best pianist I've ever met. No offense, Miss Rachel. But he was one of the best, he, maybe the best pianist I've ever met in person. He is now the lead pianist for Lancaster Baptist Church out in Lancaster, California, which is the largest independent Baptist church in America. But at the time, I was 14, and he was 15 or 16, and Daniel had this funny way of talking to kind of mock people. And I remember I, I came home from that trip, and I was talking like that. You know why? I was imitating him because he was a little bit older than me, and I wanted to be like him. 
I had begun to imitate him. How many of you here remember watching your children grow up and you can remember seeing your children's friends, your children begin to imitate their friends? How many of you here can remember that or know, know that happening? Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. We have to make sure we're watching the friends that they have. How many of you here have found that as you've grown old in your marriage, you are beginning to imitate your husband or your wife with certain habits or mannerisms? How many of you here have began to notice that. I hope that's the case. I hope that's the case. Uh, I look at a couple like Dave and Bernice, and you can tell they're becoming one. Jim and Joanne are becoming one. Jake and Rose are, be- well, maybe not. Um, Rose is like, no way, don't put me in that camp. Um, uh, no, but uh, becoming one. And I had some time, a chance to spend time with Jim and Elizette Monks, and they are becoming one. Elizette's becoming smarter by the day. Um, uh, but um, that idea of imitating each other, you know what Christ wants? He wants us to begin to imitate Him. He wants us to treat people the way He treated people. He wants us to begin to speak the way that He spoke. What happens when we begin to follow the commands of Christ and we become the friend of God? We become intimate with our Savior. He begins to influence us. And then we begin to imitate Him. Who are you imitating tonight? Are you imitating the latest show on the TV screen or, uh, or, or the banter and talk around the water cooler at work? Are you acting like the world or are you becoming such friends with your Savior that it's beginning to alter every aspect of the way you live your life? Number three, let's notice the perks of friendship with Christ. Boy, being the friend of Christ is a great privilege and it is an honor because of the way he treats us how can you judge the quality of a friendship well show me the quality of the people in the friendship and i'll show you the quality of the friendship two people that really look after and care for each other uh, that makes a great friendship i have been in some friendships where i wasn't the better of the two friends sometimes you get spread real thin you have way more friendships than you can handle i guess somewhere i need to put this in the message It'd be a really good idea if some of you went through Facebook and just unfriended a whole lot of people that you don't even know. Because their garbage is popping up in your news feed. And can I tell you what happens with a lot of people's Facebook accounts? It becomes nothing more than a watering hole to run to for gossip. You're searching people's names. I did this when I had Facebook. So if you don't do this, you're better than me. You're searching people's names to find out what the latest problem is in their life. Oh, don't do that. Hey, use Facebook and let that be real friends. I would think it would be wise to just maybe consider taking a long break from it or just getting rid of it altogether because I have found Facebook generally pulls people down and makes them feel negative. And I don't know that Facebook's going to help anybody here actually accomplish their goals in life. Can anybody think of a way that Facebook can help you accomplish your goals in life? Can anybody think of a way Facebook can waste your time? A lot of it. And uh, again, there's nothing wrong with Facebook if it's kept in moderation. But you be careful with that. Perks with being the friend of Christ. He is the perfect friend. And in that, he's the perfect friend. We're making that effort to be his friend. He's making a strong effort to be friends with us. Well, what are those perks? Letter A, notice, his love for us is consistent. Let's turn over to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, and look at a few verses tonight. Proverbs 17 and verse 17. Can you turn over there for me? Proverbs 17 
and verse number 17. We're going to look at three verses in the book. It'll be worth your while to turn over there. His love for us is constant. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We could tell a lot of funny stories about the second half of the verse, but a friend loveth at all times. You know, whether or not you jump in and out of a friendship with Christ, one thing is certain, He loves you. And that love doesn't stop. And that love is unconditional. A friend loveth at all times. What are the perks of being the friend of Christ? Well, that love is just constant. That love is constant. I was talking to someone the other day and they said, I have a friend who is my my buddy all the way back to high school. And this friend now lives on the other side of the country. And I kept making efforts to keep up with this friend. And this friend ceased to make the effort. It seemed like I was always the one reaching out. So I decided I was just going to take a break. And it was a good six months, eight months before that person ever even reached back out. You know, with God, oftentimes I'm more that way where I'm not the one reaching out to him as often as I ought to. But his love is consistent. Notice next the perks of Christ being our friend. Uh, He offers us perfect counsel. Turn over to 27.9, Proverbs 27.9. He offers us perfect counsel. Sometime back, I had some hard-hitting decisions to make in my life. And I, my knee-jerk reaction was to pick up the phone and call my multitude of counselors. And I think it's wise to have a multitude of counselors. And I have a multitude of counselors I'll go to. Uh, but the Lord began to work on my heart and say, You need to come to me before you go to anybody else, because my counsel is far better than theirs ever could be. Proverbs chapter 27, look at verse number 9. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. You ever been in a tough spot, didn't know what to do, and you picked up the phone, or you you had coffee with a friend, and they listened to your problem? And they seem to just have the perfect answer to help you get through that problem. You ever have that happen? You're, you ever sat down, ladies, with your husband and, 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 and gave him a situation you were going through and he patiently waited for you to finish? Most of you are like, Pastor, stop right there. The answer is no. He never patiently waits till I finish. But he patiently waited till you're finished. He didn't only understand the, the details, but he understood the emotion that you were going through as well. And then after taking some time to contemplatively think, he gave me counsel that helped me get through my problem. Husbands, you ought to be doing that to help your wives. Don't cut them off in the middle of a sentence. I know this isn't a, a marriage sermon, but it's good advice. Don't ever just cut your wife off in the middle of a sentence and have an answer for her. Listen, I'm guilty of it sometimes, but and I have to remind myself, let her finish. Uh, and, and then, if she wants counsel, then offer that. Here's the beauty of being the friend of God. You know what? He knows everything. He knows everything. He knows all of the hypotheticals of how things could play out. And so when you go to him and say, Lord, here's uh, this, the situation I'm in, and here's what I'm thinking. Is that a good idea? And you sit still, and you say nothing. And you let the Lord speak. Um, uh, uh, one of the Sunday school teachers this morning told me a little bit about what she was teaching, uh, uh, what was being taught. And the idea was sometimes when we walk with God, we do too much of the talking and not enough of the listening. And it's good sometimes to just ask God a question and sit still and know that He is God and let Him teach us in our counsel. 
I'm trying to sell for you tonight why it is you want to keep the commandments of the Lord and choose your earthly friends carefully and walk with the Lord and abide in Him. Well, one of the perks is that He is always going to give you that perfect counsel to help you get through life. You can come to me as your pastor. You can go to one of our deacons. You can find some Christian professional counselor out there in the world and they can give you advice. And you may find someone that gives you really good advice. But my friend, no one is going to give you better advice, better counsel than God Himself and that friend when you make it uh, make Him a friend. Letter C, notice, He sharpens our countenance. Look at chapter 27, verse 17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Remember, I was uh, really down in the dumps, really overwhelmed with life as a college student. I was entering my senior year and just exhausted, getting just a handful of hours of sleep each night. Had a lot on me with school, and I needed to make really good grades that semester in order to be able to actually graduate. And my job was very demanding at the time. It was winter. It was cold out. I remember uh, um, having a lot of pressure put on me from the, those running the ministry I was a part of on the weekends. And just feeling, and you know when you're, when you're tired, Little problems feel like huge problems. Then you take a nap and everything seems to be better, right? But I remember just feeling totally uh, overwhelmed by life. And I got uh, back from uh, my uh, bus route that Saturday. And it was a cold, crisp night, maybe in the upper 20s. And I, I went out on the dock there at uh, the, the, the college I went to at a lake. I went out on the dock and I sat there, and I did break a rule. I stayed out past curfew, but I didn't do it on purpose. I just lost track of time. And I sat there on the dock, and it was a clear night out, a cold, crisp night out. And I looked up at the stars, and I spent, I don't know, two or two and a half hours with the Lord. And I just bore my problems and my heart and my hurt to the Lord. And I, I sat down that evening with my emotions in a knot, my spirit all cantankerous, feeling like I couldn't find my way out of all sorts of problems I had found my way into. And I remember I got up after that two, two and a half hours, and the walk back to the front entrance of the college, there was a a peace that swept over me. I had gone out there with my shoulders stooped and a frown on my face, and I got up and walked in with my shoulders back and smiling. Had my problems gone away? No, but... Iron had sharpened iron. My friend had sharpened my countenance. What do you get when you keep the commandments? What do you receive when you walk with the Lord? What do you, uh, what do you find when you don't buck at His commandments but follow them? You find that you have a lover who is constant in loving you. You find a counselor who is perfect in his counselor, counsel. And you find a friend that will work to sharpen the countenance of your face and of your life. Number four, though, and lastly, let's finish by looking at the pain of friendship with Christ. Can I tell you that being the friend of Christ does not come without its troubles and its trials? And if you truly are going to live for Christ, you will find at times that it can be challenging, not only in the battle against your own flesh, but in the battle against the world and the culture that hates your Christianity, that hates your friend. Look at John 15, verse 18. It says, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. 
Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. And what that means is they're going to try to use your words against you, just like they have worked to use my words against me. Listen, don't be surprised if you're living your life in such a way where the world begins to hate you. They hate you. You know, the, the elites of our country, they hate our church. You know that? There will be a day, and this isn't, um, this isn't just hyperbolic speech. There will be a day where our YouTube page is shut off, due, deemed as hate speech. Because as an organization, what we stand for. And we're making plans to be able to still broadcast digitally around the globe without YouTube or Facebook. There will be a day where our Facebook page as a church is shut down and allowed to be no more because we take a stand where the Bible takes stands. They won't care about our demeanor. They hate us. Specifically, did you know that they hate you? They hate you. Now, the level of pain and persecution we are experiencing as Americans right now resorts mostly to name-calling. And I think we're all grown up enough where we can handle being called a name. And we won't be too upset by that. But I believe there will be a day where they will torture us the way they tortured the disciples. How are you going to get through that? You're only going to get through that if you are sincere and serious about being the friend of God. And that begins today. There will come a day when persecution hits the church. I have done a lot of thinking about what that will look like. I believe if I pastor here for 30 years, 40 years, I believe the day will come where they will strip away our tax-exempt status as a church. They may even go back and charge us back taxes because of hate, hate speech. They may throw a tax bill in our face we're not able to pay, and our building may be, our building and grounds may be stripped away from us. There will be a day where they threaten and bully people who want to assemble as part of White Oak Baptist Church. You know, I'm not really looking forward to that day mostly, but there is a part of me that says, bring it on. You say, well, pastor, why would you want persecution brought on the church? Because it would purify my faith on a level that I don't think I can get there without persecution. There will be the, the, there will be those who are passionate for Christ and there will be those who are pretenders in Christ. And the pretenders will leave us and depart from us and want to have nothing else to do with us. They'll acquiesce to the culture and give in. And those that are passionate for Christ, that passion will become intense. It will become real. And the friendship with Christ will be more intense than it's ever been. Lastly, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 16. We'll close the message with this verse this evening. 1 Peter chapter 4. And remember, Peter was the apostle to the Jews, but he wrote his letters, interestingly enough, to the Gentiles. And he compares them to a whole lot of Judaism. And here he's speaking to the Gentiles who are suffering persecution for their faith. And look at First Peter 4, verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God on his this behalf. I think this verse just about sums up the whole message. If he suffer imitating Christ, if he suffer being intimate with Christ, if he to suffer, suffer because he's been influenced by Christ. Hey, don't you be ashamed. Don't you be ashamed. Instead, rather, you glory in that suffering and you know that you have been identified with your Savior. You glorify God on this behalf. And so, Christian, tonight, I would ask you, how serious are you about being the friend of God? How serious are you about it? Is that friendship casual? Are you friendly with God? Or is that friendship uh, intimate? Is He influencing you? And are you now beginning to imitate your Savior, because you're keeping His commandments? Are there, are there those moments of brokenness where the Holy Spirit of God has shown you in your heart where something is getting in between you and a deeper intimacy, closeness with the Lord, and you say, Lord, I need to get rid of that so I can better keep your commandments. As God brings those things to your heart and to your mind, will you confess them? Will you learn to hate your sin? And will you be drawn to Christ in that friendship. How serious are you with your friendship with our Savior? Lord, I ask tonight that you would, you would help us to be serious as we endeavor to look deep in our heart at our friendship. Lord, you are the perfect friend to us. And the question is, are we that perfect friend back? Are we that mature friend back? Are we walking with you? Are we talking to you? Are we listening to you? Are we uh, clearing things out of the way that are hindering that relationship? Help us, Lord, to uh, be under conviction where that isn't the case. And Lord, tonight may we all leave here committed to be the friend of Christ, the friend of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. The altar's open. How about it tonight, Christian? How's your friend?